Rohatsu Seshin, year 2020, in the time of COVID. A time we will all remember and tell our children and grandchildren about. Or future Dharma practitioners. This is day three, full day three. Thank you all, everyone here in the Zendo and everyone at home. Thank you for keeping the great road of the ancestors opened up. Opened up so that others may walk it with you. Walk it with you during your lifetime or with you after you die. Whenever the critical voice invades your mind during meditation, and evaluates your practice negatively, just turn towards it with kindness and say, oh, thank you for sharing your concern, but actually my only job right now is to keep the great road of the Buddhas and ancestors opened up. So I'm just sitting here smack in the middle of the road keeping it open for anyone who wants to follow it. In fact, you know, sometimes I get sleepy and my inner eye gets dim. When I get sleepy or I can't see the road so clearly and I lose track of my breath or my koan, that happens, but that's okay. I'm still just sitting here keeping the great road of the Buddhas and ancestors opened up. Sometimes I even lie down right here in the Great Road and go to sleep, but that also is still keeping the Great Road open. Hei Dogen says, in the continuous practice of the way of Buddha ancestors, you should not be concerned about whether you are a great or modest hermit whether you are brilliant or dull, just forsake name and gain forever and don't be bound by myriad conditions. Ponder this. Someone, actually many tens of thousands of someones, tens of thousands of modest hermits and maybe a few great hermits, kept it open over the last 2,600 years. So you, so I, could find it and follow it. And so you and I will pass on that favor. And maybe one of the people who is following it now, or 2,600 years in the future, will become a very great hermit, or a great teacher, or even a Buddha. Sitting for a week in silence requires great faith and great determination, two of the three pillars of Zen that Hogan's first teacher, Philip Kaplow Roshi, wrote about. 
and the title of one of the few books in English that we had when we began practicing. So it was very well read and very well thumbed. Great faith about what? That the path exists even when you have lost sight of it or you you aren't actually actively practicing it. That path exists. Didn't it exist before you discovered it in this lifetime? Someone kept it open. Great faith that your practice, your contribution of time and life energy to this practice matters, even if you don't see the results at this time. Actually, we contribute our life energy all the time holding faith that it matters. Anytime we contribute money to a charity, we do it in faith. A few months ago, I gave money to our young grandchildren in order for them to contribute it to charity. And I gave them several choices of charities which cause they wanted to donate to. They're too young to sort that out for themselves. So I picked three that I thought would interest them. I thought probably they would donate it to a kid's soccer team in Africa because their, I can't remember if it was 10 or $15, would buy a ball or an entire uniform for one of the kids. But they all decided to give it for surgery to restore sight to blind people in India and Africa. Do I know that the surgery happens as a result of that contribution? No. Do they know? No. But they and I gave it, gave that money in faith. in faith, in the basic faith that generosity is good for us. Recently, many of our residents and some Sangha members wrote letters to our county commissioners about the rezoning of this very verdant property in front of the monastery being converted to industrial use. This is something that's been going on ever since we arrived here 20 years ago in one form or another. Are the chances low that the commissioners will change their mind? Yes. Is it worth doing anyway in the faith that it matters? is doing something out of the desire to help our neighbors, including our person neighbors and our neighbor plants and wildlife worthwhile, is doing something to benefit our future guests worthwhile, yes, in many ways. What is our other choice? 
we have two other choices. One choice is anger. And the Buddha is quite clear that anger only begets more anger. Anger is never beneficial unless it's turned into great determination. Another choice is apathy. This is also one of the three poisons of the heart-mind, along with anger. I'll just ignore it, and I hope it goes away. Also, not beneficial. I know some people were tempted not to vote in the last election. One of our former residents actually put up a little fight about not wanting to vote. And I said, you know, your vote will count if you do vote. If you don't vote, it won't count. And it won't balance the vote in the other direction. So it will have a negative effect, potentially. And we know that in some areas it was a few thousand votes, 12,000 votes, that made a difference. Apathy is not beneficial. It is also a poison. Here is what A. Hay Dogen says so vigorously about this. Because of the continuous practice of all Buddhas of past, present, and future, all Buddhas of past, present, and future are actualized. Therefore, you aspire to practice. The effect is sometimes not apparent. Therefore, you may not see, hear, or know it. You should understand that although it is not revealed, it is not hidden. Although it is not revealed to you, it is not hidden. So something very interesting to ponder in these lines is because of the continuous practice of all Buddhas of past, present, and future. So it's easy for us to conceive of the devoted practice of the Buddha. You conceive of the Buddha back behind me 2,600 years ago and then all the masses of practitioners, the great tree of practitioners. I'm, I'm sure you're all aware that for each name that we chant in the chant book, and then we chant the next person, their successor, but each one of them, or many of them, had many successors. And then each one of them had many successors. So it's not a line. It seems like a line on the Kechimiyaku when you write the Kechimiyaku or when we chant the ancestors. But it's not a line, it's a great tree. So I'm one of 13 successors of Maizumi Roshi. And I have, Hogan and I have, I've forgotten, five, six, six successors so far. And each of them will have successors. And they, each of the 13 has successors. And, and some of them are like, I think Bernie Glassman's now in the third generation of successors. So it's this huge tree, this gigantic crowd that's behind us, keeping the path open and available to us when we need to ask for help. But, Dogen Zenji says, Buddha's of the future. 
continuous practice of all Buddhas of the future. That is really something to ponder. It does not accord with our usual understanding or awareness of time, which we've been trained to think of as linear rather than continuous, or rather than now, and now, now, no, 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 no. All now, all present, only now. Although the beneficial effect of your practice is not revealed to you right now, or last night when maybe you felt so discouraged, it is not hidden to the world. One question that came up during the evening practice discussions Uh, Not last night, because we had a technological glitch and couldn't do the practice discussions last night, but we think we've got it fixed, and there will be practice discussions available tonight. But one question that came up uh, night before last during the evening practice discussions concerns a common experience during Sashin. It's the feeling that I cannot go on. I am too tired to sit for one more minute. Or I'm in so much pain, I can't sit still for one more minute. Or my mind is so crazy, I can't sit with it. I don't want to abide with my mind for one more minute. Some people even spoke about their mind uncovering as they sat that their mind was so crazy it was driving them crazy and then the temptation just to give up. Part of that's explained by when you do sit and you open your awareness to your mind, you discover what's actually going on, which is usually hidden by the continuous activity that we engage in during the day. So there are many remedies to apply when this recipe of negative feeling tone plus unpleasant body sensations plus thoughts arise. I'll mention just two. One is what our dear friend, our dear departed friend, Kyogen Carlson, recommended when someone asked him what to do when their legs were hurting so much during a session sitting period that they felt that they must move and it wasn't time for the bell to ring. Kyogen told them that when you reach this apparent end point, count your breath to ten one more time, or two more times. And you might be counting like, one, two, like that. It doesn't matter. Just do it. And then move. In other words, stretch yourself a little bit more past whatever your mind's concept is or statement is of your perceived limits. You might be surprised. I've been surprised during yaza, extra sitting at night when I thought, I just can't do this any longer. I have to get up and go to bed. And then I remember Kyogen's words. Some of Kyogen's bones are in our 
founder's room, or Kai Sando, right over there, and I greet him every morning. So he's very alive in my mind. So I follow his advice, and I resolve to sit just a little bit longer. And sometimes what happens is my mind suddenly becomes clear, and that extra 10 breaths or extra 10 minutes magically extends into 30 more minutes or an hour. And the time swiftly passes by. But opportunity is not lost. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't. So I sit an extra 10 minutes and then I get up and go to bed with no backwards thoughts. No backwards thoughts, that's what's important. No comparing mind. No thinking, oh, what are the people who are still sitting going to think of me? Leave it behind. And just practice continuously on the way to bed. When the mind stops struggling, stops generating thoughts, and opens into now, time can disappear and even pain can disappear. If we don't stretch ourselves, we keep collapsing into what is comfortable. And our world then becomes smaller and smaller, especially as we age, because a lot of discomfort is thrown up by the body. And if we let that take over, our world becomes smaller and smaller. And then maybe we're compelled to defend that comfort that last piece, that last piece of cake that we know that we would enjoy more than this other person. Or defend that right not to listen to opposing views, but to be framing in our mind what we're going to say back. Or defending that right to win any contest, even a national election that we didn't win. Or defend that right not to wear a mask or defend that right not to have to apologize, or to defend that white privilege. All of these arise from what I mentioned Michael Conklin calls defining and defending personal territory. As that personal territory gets immensely large, that self, those boundaries disappear, then there's nothing to defend because everything's included. If it collapses and gets smaller, then the defense gets stronger. We know that defending in our minds, right? We can object to it when we see it in a national figure, but we know it happening in our own minds. Entropy is always pulling at us. We have to be determined to go against it and to pull our mind together. To pull our mind together instead of just letting it roam around untrained and letting it cause many troubles until the end of our life. We have to pull it together into concentration. Simple mind, simpler mind. Concentrated mind, one-pointed mind. And then, through that one point, 
those infinite dharma gates, which seem like small points, then what happens to that mind? Here's the other remedy for feeling that you are at the end of your rope during sitting. Switch to a practice that you know that you enjoy and enjoy it. For example, listening practice can be a great refuge and relief when the struggles of body and mind seem overwhelming. Let the sound of the rain wash through your body your tired body, your heart, your mind. See if you can listen to individual raindrops. Certain times of the year we can listen to frogs. Certain times of the year we can listen to crickets singing. It's quite a lovely and relaxing practice, although it requires concentration. Another concern people sometimes have is that they started this practice too late. They look at the 20 and 30 year olds in the monastery and they sigh saying, I wish I had discovered Zen at that age. I really think I'm too old to get anywhere in this practice. The third pillar of Zen is great doubt. To question and investigate everything that the mind throws up, especially to, in quest- to question and investigate our, what are our core beliefs, what beliefs are deep down in there causing us suffering over and over again, are limiting our core beliefs. Did we start too late? Is that true? How do we know when we began practice? See, questions open things up rather than close things down. Good questions. In Gyoji, Dogen Zenji relates the story of the 10th ancestor, Parshva. I'll read part of his story. Each of, the, each of his stories are um, beautiful examples of things that arise in our practice. Venerable Parshva The 10th ancestor did not lay himself down on his side to sleep throughout his lifetime. That was his vow. Although he started his practice in his 80s, he soon received the great Dharma one to one. As he did not waste a moment, within three years, he received the true eye of complete enlightenment. So, Here's what we get in each ancestor, especially in the Indian tradition, has a legend. Often in the Indian tradition, very magical legend about their origin. Like one ancestor was born with a okesa on. So what does that mean? But in Parshva's case, Parshva was in his mother's womb for 60 years and was born with long gray hair. As he had a vow not to lay himself down on his side to sleep, he was called Venerable Undefiled Sides. That is a good Dharma name, Venerable Undefiled Sides. (laughs) 
In order to pick up a sutra in the dark, he would radiate his inner light, an ability he had from birth. So this seems quite magical, but actually I uh, have had a student in the past who would sit in a closet in his house because there were children and so on, so they had, the, had a closet dedicated to practice. And he said that when he would sit in the dark in the closet, eventually it would be as if a light had turned on and it got brighter and brighter and brighter and it would illuminate the room. So we think some of these things are myths, but maybe not. When Parshva was about to give up his household and wear a monk's robe at the age of 80, a young boy in the town criticized him, saying, You are ignorant. What you are going to do doesn't make sense. Monks maintain two types of practice, learning samadhi and chanting. You are too old and frail to learn these things. You will only confuse the pure stream and eat monk's food in vain. Hearing this criticism, what do you think he did? He thanked the boy and reaffirmed his vow. After that, he did not skip even one day of contemplation while walking, sitting, and standing. During the day, he studied the teachings, and at night, he practiced tranquil concentration. After three years, he mastered the Tripitaka, which was part of his vow. He became free of desires in the three worlds and attained proficiency in the three types of knowledge. Thus, Parshva was in his mother's womb for 60 years before his birth. Did he seek the way in the womb? 80 years after his birth, he left his household to study the way. It was 140 years after he was conceived. Although outstanding, he was older and more frail than anyone else. In the womb, he was old, and at birth, he was old. However, actually, having examined many, many newborns, some of them do look old at birth. And as I've said before, some of them look like, oh, no, not again. However, he did not mind people's criticism and had unrelenting determination. He did not mind people's criticism. That itself is an amazing practice. And had unrelenting determination. That's why, after only three years, his endeavor to attain the way was fulfilled. Upon seeing the wise and being inspired by them, how could we be slack in our endeavor? We should not be hindered by old age and frailty. Birth is hard to fathom. Is this birth or not birth? So that's a question to ask every moment. Is this birth or not birth? Is this old age or not? The views of water by four types of beings vary. This refers to something he writes about, a traditional um, concept that he writes about in Genja Koan, that uh, it's, it's an example of how different beings and even different people and even us at different times in our life see things completely differently. So it's about water. So dragons in the, up in the sky look down and see a shining pool of water and see it as a jewel. And hungry ghosts, because their throats are tight, tiny, tiny throats, but they're constantly thirsty, 
When they drink, it burns their throat. They see water as fire, as pain. And fish? Fish see it as home. Fish don't even know it's water. You asked a fish, what is the source of water? Even if they could talk, they couldn't tell you being water. And how do we see water? Do we see it as icebergs breaking off, as flooding, rising sea levels? Or do we see it, which is not the wrong way to see it, but can we also hold water moment by moment and see it as precious that way? This magical thing that flows out, completely transparent, and washes everything. Constantly amazed at water. We should just focus our aspiration and endeavor on the practice of the way. We should understand that the practice of the way is no other than seeing into birth and death. Yet our practice is not bound by birth and death. It is extremely foolish of people nowadays to put aside endeavor of the way when they become 50 or 60 years old, even 70 or 80. If we are concerned, and we we actually have a number of people in our sangha who are 70 or 80, and practicing quite diligently. And we're very grateful to them because they're a wonderful support in our sangha. If we are concerned about how many months and years we have lived, this is merely a limited human view, which has nothing to do with the study of the way. Do not consider whether you are in your prime or old and frail. You should single-mindedly aspire to study and master the way standing shoulder to shoulder with Parshva. Standing shoulder to shoulder with Parshva is Dogen Zenji's instruction to us. In continuous practice in Gyoji, he writes, as it is not stained by what is hidden, apparent, existent, or non-existent, you may not notice the causal conditions that led you to be engaged in the practice that actualizes you at the very moment of unknowing. So it's not stained by age. There is no such thing as being too young or too old to practice. And when we enter practice deeply, there is no age. But this is very interesting. You may not notice the causal conditions that led you to be engaged in the practice that actualizes you at the very moment of unknowing. Actualizes you at the very moment of unknowing. So you should not lament your age. One translation of the first line of the Heart Sutra that I love is, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva when coursing deep in Prajnaparamita. When coursing deep in Prajnaparamita, aligning ourselves with that flow of that deep wisdom which has always, always, always existed as no beginning and no end. Coursing deep in prajna paramita, when you are flowing with the now, when you are in samadhi, 
age drops away, time and the past and the future drop away. All the Buddhas of past and present and future are one, are one within you. You may not notice the causal conditions that led you to be engaged in the practice. We should not lament any of our past. We should not lament any of our past. There may be things that we need need to make amends for and do bowing for or dedicate parts of our practice to the benefit of someone that we've harmed. But we should not lament any of our past. We should rejoice in it as it all led us here. People who, have e- who, people who have had easy lives are not inclined to practice. Why look deeply when you seem to be content? As one young student in a weekend retreat in Santa Barbara once said to me, I don't really practice much. The weather is always nice here and the surf is always up. Well, the weather, external and internal, won't always be nice. And the surf won't always be up, or it may be up and flooding your house. So, wise to practice ahead of time. Dogen Zenji, to forsake name and gain in this lifetime and practice one thing thoroughly is the vast, continuous practice of the Buddha's timeless life. This continuous practice is bound to be sustained by continuous practice. This continuous practice is bound to be sustained by continuous practice. Love and respect your body, mind, and self that are engaged in continuous practice, although the face, bones, and marrow of Buddha ancestors are beyond going and not going, beyond coming and not coming, they are always transmitted through one day's continuous practice. Therefore, each day is valuable. Each morning we are following Dogen Zenji's admonition. In the Four Foundations of Mindfulness Meditation, we are practicing love, respect, and gratitude for the body that has cared for us all night. We are practicing respect for the heart that cares. And when open, can warm up and beautify our life and the lives of others, making the path easier. We are practicing respect and compassion for the mind, respectful that it brought us to the cushion and will eventually open fully into its natural home, its natural way, its natural boundlessness. And with compassion for its habit of fear and the needless way that it suffers, dear mind, Zenji, although the face, bones, and marrow of Buddha ancestors are beyond going and not going, beyond coming and not coming, 
they are always transmitted through one day's continuous practice. Therefore, each day is valuable. Please be interested in and investigate how to practice continuously. How to continue practice when your bottom is not on the official zazen cushion. As you walk, doing walking meditation, and walking that has not been labeled walking meditation, how to practice continuously. As you drink, as you eat, as you chant, as you wash your face, as you lie down in bed, as you fall asleep, and very important, upon first awakening, pick the practice up right there as you awaken and watch the self assemble itself. Thank you. Thank <clears throat> you.